Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thanks so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the pain of picking the wrong 3PL with my friend Esther Kestenbaum Prozan. How's it going there, Esther? Great, great. Thank you so much, Joe, for having me. It, it is a constant theme on my podcast that you have to pick the right 3PL and that that right 3PL is a partner. And so often we were prepping for this. We probably talked for a long time about this, but finally hitting the record button, you have the exact same thoughts I do, probably better thoughts than I do on the topic. But before we get into that, Esther, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're, where you're at today. Sure, sure. So my name is Esther Kestenbaum-Prozan. I am president of Ruby House Fulfillment. We are a large and very, very fast growing e-commerce fulfillment company focused on direct-to-consumer brands. I personally am in the San Francisco Bay Area, but Ruby House has offices all over the country, of course. All over this continent. (laughs) Yes, all over the continent and, and Canada. Right. Right. So all over the continent. U.S. and Canada. So, and you've got the big storm brewing over there in the San Francisco land, huh? We do, we do. And of course, we have a, a facility in Kentucky, and our thoughts are all about that, you know, oh, about our yeah. folks there. Awful, awful. Uh, we, we have not been impacted, but clearly we're, we're part of that community, and it's devastating. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. We all lost power up here in Michigan. I, I did not. I'm on the same grid as DTE, Detroit, uh, whatever that is, or the Detroit uh, Power Company. So I never lose power. But it, when you lose power, and you go, oh, my God, life sucks. And then you go, oh, not compared to uh, what happened in Kentucky. Awful, awful time. Yeah. So no, don't be too much of a downer here. So Esther, what do you guys do over at Ruby Has Fulfillment? We are focused on direct-to-consumer brands and helping them keep their brand promises to their to their customers, right? Our clients sell, our, our brands that sell direct-to-consumer, they also very often have an omni-channel strategy where they're selling DTC on their own websites, but also drop ship through other other traditional retailers. Re- traditional yeah. retail also? Through traditional retail. Some of them uh, also do wholesale through traditional retail. Many of them are on all kinds of marketplaces, including Amazon and eBay. So we help them comprehensively with all of their fulfillment needs. That's what we do. And you know, on my podcast, every once in a while, somebody will say DTC, and that means direct to consumer, which is great. We also say e-commerce, and I think we use those interchangeably. But one of the things that just hit me not so long ago was that a lot of B2B is e-commerce. And when you're doing B2B, business to business, you're shipping to a professional receiver, a professional yes, shipper, professional different. receiver. When you're shipping direct to consumer, you have, as you mentioned, the brand promise there's an experience, and we all know that Amazon has kind of raised the bar for what that experience should be like. So if you're doing any sort of direct-to-consumer or even e-commerce B2B, you have to bring that same level of experience that Amazon has. And it's not just Amazon. It's basically all of the consumer technology that we've gotten used to, the DoorDashes and Instacart, all those, all those things that we've gotten used to. Uh, Lyft, I love Lyft. Once you've had those and then you go to work and go, wait a sec, 
my lift from the airport was a dream and my $100,000 worth of freight, I can't find it and nor can my 3PL. It all of a sudden feels like what's wrong. So I always feel we're bringing our consumer experience to work. So right. companies like Ruby has, uh, it, and by the way, it is Ruby has is your website, but Ruby has fulfillment is the name of the company, right? Yes, that's right. That's right. And, and I completely agree with you. Look, Amazon has, has raised the bar in certain ways. It's also lowered the bar in certain ways. So there are certain things and certain types of experiences that brands can't convey through an Amazon fulfillment experience, right. right? There's a certain level of customization. There's their own brand identity. There's being able to connect directly and create a relationship with their own uh, customers. And a lot of those experiences are sort of traded off opposite certain types of efficiencies, which are now available through third-party right. logistics companies as well. Right. So that's, it's really evening the play field, but that, that concept of the brand promise, you know, you have a great, beautiful website, you have what appears to be a great product, you actually, you know, have a great checkout experience and then, but ultimately at the end of this entire process, it's supposed to end with a box ending up on your doorstep and that's supposed to come on time and correctly and looking a certain way that continues the virtual online brand experience into the real world. Right. Right. And that's what we do. We, the world, the world gets ugly to that. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, the world gets ugly once they go, yeah, you've got a beautiful website and I put it in this shopping cart and I bought it and I got a nice email. Oh my God, I love this company. And then it gets ugly right after that when it has to be moved. That's when the real world hits and that's when they need companies like yours. But before we get into all of that, I want to come back to customer experience for sure. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you got to Ruby Has Fulfillment. Sure. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. So I'm, I'm, you know, far away from where I grew up, but it was a wonderful place to grow. I went to school in New York. I went to college in New York. Where'd you go? I went to Barnard College, Columbia University. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Wait, is that, is, is Barnard part of Columbia or did you go to two schools? No, no, no. Barnard is part of Columbia. It's it's one of the colleges at Columbia University. Yeah. So what did you go to school for? So I I studied actually English and computer science. Perfect. And yeah. And uh, so kind of right and left brained. And then I lived outside the country for many years. Oh, where'd you live? I lived in Israel for 15 years. Oh, nice. Yeah. There's been a few people who've lived in Israel. You know, one of the things that keeps coming up in my podcast is we all know about Silicon Valley. We all know about San Francisco being wonderful tech spots. We all know Austin and Boston, Indianapolis. All these cities are growing, even Pittsburgh. I should not miss them. I've always missed somebody. But one of the things that keeps coming up is how much of a tech center that Tel Aviv has become. All of Israel, not just Tel Aviv, the entire country. Well, yeah. I know it's a small country too. I mean, but relative the to the country, U.S., yeah. the yeah. whole country. And it's funny, it punches way, way above its weight when it comes to tech. And I've heard people say that, you know, maybe after Silicon Valley, I don't know if you say Silicon Valley in San Francisco is one place, maybe that's number one, and Israel is number two. Right, right. And depending upon the year, sometimes there are actually more funded startups there. So it's it wavers, actually. It's very, very interesting. Yeah. That's true. And um, there's a very, very strong uh, logistics aspect 
in Israel as well. It's one of the shipping capitals of the world, one of the largest shipping companies in the world is, is Israeli. And so it's, it's an interesting place. I was there for 15 years. Wow. And then came back to the States and I've been with venture backed companies in the, in the e-commerce space, right? All, every aspect of e-commerce. And that's the reason that I think that's meaningful is because when I think about logistics, our end of logistics, the ETC fulfillment, we, yes, we're logistic. What do we do? We provide logistics and transportation, of course. But what we really do is we are an e-commerce enablement company, right? Right. And without which nothing happens and into which everything uh, integrates. So we're really at the center of the e-commerce world. And, and that's to me, what's very, very exciting about the industry itself. Right. You know, it's, it's what's, what's, what's very strange is if you go back just, let's just say 25 years ago, the chances of somebody from Columbia University with a, a tech background and an English degree running a logistics company would be like, no, that's that's <laughs> not what you do, right? There's no way. And the idea that somebody from Silicon Valley running a logistics company, no way. Right. Now it's the norm. Now, and and I and I feel like for a while, and maybe we're still in this phase where there's pure logistics guys who are, you know, maybe operational guys. Maybe they came up through sales, but they are logistics guys first. And tech guy second. And then there's the tech people who are very much come at every problem from tech, but maybe not have the operational background. Now I feel like we've kind of gotten to that place where there's the hybrids, where maybe I came from tech, but I've been living the logistics life for long enough that I'm part of the team. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's very interesting because we see fulfillment companies in, uh, not to generalize, to overgeneralize, but largely uh, in two buckets. There, there is a logistics company that has come out of the transportation world, right? Which is a good solid place to, to come from. Right. And then there's a logistics company that is a technology company first and logistics company second. What is interesting is in, in our estimation, in my estimation, it's really much harder for a software company to go into logistics, right? We've got companies that create great software and then try to build a logistics company that backs into their software, right? And we think that that is like backwards. That's exactly like back backwards. The way we look at it is you have to figure out the business first and software needs to be in the service of the business and not the other way around. <laughs> right. And the, the ethos and the type of people that you need it's very, very different to sit around a, you know, a conference room table and do thought experiments in this pristine world of bits and bytes, right? Where everything is under your control. And then the real world really can hit you like a ton of bricks, right? It's got like people and like, you know, diseases like COVID and it's got weather conditions and all oh, of this yeah. kind of stuff happening. And you really need, you need both. So one of the nice things about, about our company is a lot of us, including our, our original founder, our founder, Rafi Zakhanov, are from the e-commerce world. They've actually done e-commerce. They've been soaking in the real world with a complete recognition that great software needs to be built. But yeah, uh, very much so. So I, I recognize what you're saying, Joe. Right. So when and why did you join 
Ruby has fulfillment. You obviously had a career that was a tech career. I mean, I think that's how you probably would define it before you yeah. got to. So what, when and why did you go, yeah, I need to make this, I need to make this move? Well, yes, it's been a tech career with, a, with an enormous focus on e-commerce and in all its aspects. I actually knew that the board, the, the founder and the board at Ruby has for a number of years before I joined. I was, let's just say it was the world's longest interview, <laughs> the most in-depth <laughs> and longest interview. And, you know, the company had grown over eight years from zero to $17 million. So that was over a period of eight years. I joined three and a half years ago because one of the board members at, at Ruby called me up and said, hey, you know, this this company is starting to grow and we think it can do a lot more. We think it's, we think something, there's real huge potential here. And so I said, hey, you know what? Why don't you come out to San Francisco? I'll spend a week with you, right? And we'll just, we'll hang out and we'll kind of tease this out together. And at the end, by the end of that week, they had extended an offer to me to join as president. Nice, and nice. With an eye toward uh, toward really growing the company. You know, right now we're at um, you know we're we're closing in on ten being ten x the size that we were when I joined. Woo, woo. So yeah. how long ago did you so get there? Three and a half years ago. Wow. So you guys are booming. We're we're booming, and you know I built out you know this a sales and marketing function in a in a different way. But it's not just our top line that's grown. It's it's our product offerings. It's our you know we, we're we're profitable. We've we've always been profitable, and but now you know our EBITDA has grown as well. Our our average client size has grown fifteen hundred percent. Right, nice. we were like six x six times on the Forbes list of fastest growing companies. We've been on the Cranes Fast Fifty about I think three or four times. So, so big, big things are happening at Ruby has. Sounds like it was definitely worth the, the uh, move for you and for them. For both of us. Yeah, that's right. Before I forget, I can, I know I'll get a nasty email if I don't say this. Uh, you know, one of the other tech hubs that uh, you're from is New York. I mean, New York is yes. one of those tech hubs that we, that's right. and it's funny, New York has always been that financial center that maybe the center of the media, you forget how much, how much e-commerce is growing there. So you're from there. Before we get into the topic, what is one thing you miss about New York? About New York? It's still one of the fastest places to get things done. The sheer speed. And because of how it is, you know, we, we have speed now because of technology and because of, you know, the, the platforms that we that we communicate on, whether it's Slack or Asana or right. Zoom or Google Meets. But in New York, you can have speed <laughs> and personal interactions at scale because within three hours, you can have four or five in-person meetings, which is still really lovely, I have to say. It really is lovely. Yeah. It does have a culture of business. They get things done over there. Business and speed. That's why they call it, the, you know, do something in a New York minute, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so today's topic is the pain of picking the wrong 3PL. And now right. this, this we're talking mostly about fulfillment because that is really the painful one. So I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to frame this a little bit. So if I pick a 3PL, let's just say for 3PL broker, I'll use this in, uh, interchangeably for a minute. Somebody comes and picks up my freight. They got a carrier for me. Picking the wrong carrier, picking the wrong 3PL, that can be damaging. But 
I didn't move my inventory into their building, right? If somebody's moving all my freight and I'm integrated with them technology-wise and their three their TMS is my TMS, it's hard to leave, right? But they still don't have my inventory. When you pick the wrong 3PL and it's for fulfillment, especially e-commerce fulfillment, the pain is enormous because they hold your inventory. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the pain of picking the wrong 3PL. And what we're talking about is fulfillment. Yeah. And again, there's when we say 3PL these days, it could mean a lot of different things. But Many things, yeah. So I think, well, first off, let's talk about some of the reasons that people do start looking and going, maybe I've got the wrong 3PL. What are some of the thoughts? I know people move to you and say, I think I got the wrong 3PL, help me. Yeah. What are some, and, and I have this experience too, I've helped some people pick the right 3PL. What are some of the reasons people are moving in the first place? What are they, what's the, what's the sinking feeling they have when they call Esther? <laughs> well, <laughs> sometimes it is both a sinking and rising feeling, right? Very often it's because they've outgrown where they are. Right. And, and that, you need, really need to think about that because if you believe in your business and you believe that you're going to be growing, and continuing continuing to grow, that's a very real pain, right? When the, the place where you are can no longer meet your needs and you're galloping forward and it is holding you back rather than pushing you forward, whether it's because of technology or locations or other factors, that's, that's really something to think about. So they just realized that I've got a real opportunity here and the people who I'm aligned with can't, can't keep there. up. Yeah. And, and it's, it's difficult because as an example, we know that e-commerce doesn't, it doesn't grow linearly the way a lot of other businesses do. It grows in spikes and fits and starts, right? You'll, you'll suddenly you'll be on Good Morning America and you'll have an enormous spike. You'll have an opportunity and you'll want to go for it. So the, the, the question is, are you in a place that can actually handle that? And when, when those opportunities come along, if you're if your 3PL can't bob and weave with you into that opportunity, then then what happens is they fail you just when you need them most. Right. And that's that's an enormous problem. Right. So it has to have you they've got to have enough capacity, enough uh, not just capacity, but enough forward thinking solutioning that they can work on on with you. So that's that's one aspect is simply this this idea of outgrowing, but the outgrowing isn't gradual. It's like suddenly there's a lot available and oh my God, what am I going to do? Aren't some e-commerce companies VC backed where all of a sudden they've got some more funding and they have the real opportunity to really grow, right? Yeah. They they have the opportunity and they're, when you get that funding, you're, you're committed to spending that, right? You're and growth. To, yeah. You're, you're, you're not like, ah, uh, now I'm going to hang on to this money while I figure this other stuff out. No, they want you to run out and start acting according to plan and you've got everything else lined up or maybe you have well, you're you're getting everything else lined up and then you're you're stuck in this situation that can't that suddenly isn't can't scale with you so that's that's one one problem so one of the things they think is you know I think I'm outgrowing this this guy that I picked maybe only 2 years ago and I like them well enough but what are some of the what are some of the symptoms of that outgrowing or what, what yeah, are the, what are some some, sometimes it's, it's physical capacity. Sometimes it's speed. Sometimes it's being able to just keep up with order volume and getting things out, right? Simply, simply getting things out. Right. There, there are a number of symptoms. The other thing is, in terms of growth, when companies grow, their needs change in a number of other ways. So, as an example, if you 
are really growing, eventually you're going to stop stitching together a hundred different functionalities and you're going to want to integrate with a, with a major ERP, right? Right. So your that major ERP had better have a way to be really seamlessly connected to your, to your 3PL. Otherwise you have an enormous, enormous problem, right? So the idea is you need to look for not just some, not just the 3PL that is already meeting your needs, but one that will might meet your needs in a year or, or two. And most importantly, because you can't predict what you can't really see the future. You don't have a crystal ball. You need a 3PL that has a track record of staying ahead of client needs. When you, when you run a 3PL, you see trends across hundreds and thousands of clients. So you can pick up on a trend very early. You can say, our clients, they're starting to need this, right? Right. We're going to go create that integration. We're going to go find, seek out that partnership so that it's in place when they need it, when more right. when large waves of them need it. Yeah. And you know, we, we, when we started, we, we jumped the gun and we started talking about customer experience right away. That customer experience, the bar's raising on that. So you might, I'll just throw maybe another symptom of that um, outgrowing is I just received a package to my house and it came this way and it just hit me that my packages don't arrive that way, right? Yeah, there is, you know, you should be able to have a decent level of customization if you want it, right? Um, it should be on time. It should be correct. And that's, it's not trivial, right? And so as at scale, what works, you know, with, with certain types of, of 3PLs that are struggling, what works at a certain volume level starts to break down at scale. And that's when people, that's when we get what we think of as refugees, right? We have where, where their, their current solution is breaking down at scale. Well, you, you started to hit on that leadership point. So like if I decided I needed a new, new, need a new accountant, I don't want to go in and say, I need you to do the following, right? I need you to do this, 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 this. I, there might be some of that, but mostly right. it will be my new accountant saying, Joe, <laughs> we need to level up over here. You need to start doing right. this. You need to start doing that. If I go see a new lawyer about you know, my business structure, he's going to say, okay, the problem with your current business structure is this. We need to do this, this, this. He's going to upgrade me. I should get yeah. the same thing from my 3PO when I get so, there. But don't, you I don't want to have to tell you everything. I want you to go... Joe, come need. on, you need to, you need to upgrade over here. <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't think, you know, back to your previous question, I don't know that the clients, when they come to us necessarily articulate it that way, but, but the reality is that we should be the subject matter experts who can tell you, right. Hey, you're, you really are growing your, your systems and here's what you need. So one thing about us is we've come at it so that we have about 120 partners at the moment, many of whom are actual integrations to us, some, some of which are not, they're, they're different types of partners, but together they form an incredibly strong, they, they form an incredibly strong network of, of partnerships for our, for our clients to, to make use of. So when they come to us, we actually come at everything from a consultative solution oriented standpoint where we can draw on these over 120 partnerships and bring them to bear. So not only can we actually say, here's what you need, we can actually say, here's what you need. 
let us introduce you to a high-ranking person within that company who can help you right away as our partner. And that is transformative. Now, yes, is that something you can imagine at the sales level? Sure. When you're selling, you want to bring your, put your first, right. you know, best foot forward, of course. But what we've done is we've actually trained our entire organization similarly. So we have regular internal webcasts where we train everybody in the organization to understand what our partner network is and when to bring various tools and functionalities and platforms to the table so that in the post-sale experience, which is the experience, the actual experience, as, as things are happening, a let's say a client success manager will notice that a client is struggling with something or has an opportunity that they need to address and they'll remember, oh, we work with so-and-so for returns or we work with so-and-so for international and we can make an introduction there for you guys to help expedite your progress there. Right. So to summarize this a little bit, it's where we're at so far. So people start to get this sense that I'm, I'm not with the right 3PL. I need to do something different. Maybe it's because they're growing. Maybe it's because there's some falling down by their 3PL, right? Maybe they just get this, this sense that the bar is rising constantly and my, my customer, the experience that I'm delivering to my customers isn't rising. So they, so they reach out to a company like yours. And I love what you just said about the solution focus by the sales yes. team. Super important. And I've had that with people, but then, then, then it doesn't get implemented. So we're talking here about the, the pain of this. So, so far I talked to, to a, let's just say it's, I'm talking to someone from Ruby has or Ruby has fulfillment or to another three PL. that seems like an upgrade over my existing one. That's all good. That's easy. I'm just, yeah. I, I have some nice meetings. I think this is the right fit, but I haven't told my current three PL anything yet. This is where it gets painful because the person who holds millions of dollars worth of my inventory, perhaps in multiple locations, they are not going to be happy when I tell them I'm leaving. <laughs> so that's where the, the, the pain begins. So talk a little bit about that pain, which is really when I make the commitment, yep, Esther, I want to join, I want to join up. I want you guys to help me upgrade. Talk about that that ugly phase in there. How do you make that less ugly? <laughs> yeah, we, we we have we have heard we've definitely heard that there are some three PLs where when somebody's on their way out, they um they they don't behave nicely, they don't play nicely. Uh, we think that's a terrible mistake. We think that you're going to meet everybody again, and uh, you want to maintain your relationships, and you don't need to ding people on their way out. You know, and and so that's that's unfortunate one thing that we know is that sometimes there sometimes there can actually be sabotage uh we've seen oh, that yeah. too right and so you know one thing that you can do is you can sort of slowly phase out rather than just create a cutoff date although sometimes that's not an option right and sort of phase out uh over time mean, mean, meaning i go from a million dollars worth of inventory in four locations down to a half a million dollars worth of inventory in two locations yeah. so you send yeah all your new stuff you start to go out of your inventory there and all your new stuff because goes i would also you know this means talking i would also worry about my next sale right so i so let's just say i am i've got some over with ruby has and i've got some with the old guy and I want to make sure that I don't have any fall downs. I can't afford to have losses when I'm making right. this move. 
You can't. So, so it's, it's a moment. It's definitely a moment. That's why you want to minimize how many of those moments you end up having and choose very, very carefully, you know, the second time around. That's why it's such an important decision because it's so painful. And it, it's not just painful because it feels risky and it's a fault line. It's a potential fault line, but also because it, it's, you know, it can be expensive. It can be, it, it's, it really does deplete your focus. Right. And, and so therefore, that's when you want to really think very hard about, you know, we, we don't want to have to do this again in a year or two. Right. You want to do it once. So you want to do it right. You know, as you said at the outset, it's, it's a, it's a two way, it's a real two way relationship. This is not a transactional business. Right. right? You mentioned, you know, the, the 3PL has all your stuff. Often, very often, I'll bet for most of you who are listening, your 3PL is your number one cost line item. Right. So it's it's an enormous decision. And yes, transportation and logistics and even logistics can be thought of as something that is transactional as and, as, you know, but really today you really need a consultative solution oriented provider and really need to kind of think about it as a, as a two-way partnership. Right. You have a complex business. It's a complex e-commerce by itself is, uh, is, com is complex. Fulfillment is quite complex. And right. um, there's a lot of technology. There's a lot of, there's a lot, there are a lot of business considerations and you need a partner that both in the pre and post sale can sit down and really understand your business and takes that time. So we, we actually, we do a very, uh, thorough intake. We have real conversations and, you know, we produce a gorgeous kind of uh, solution book, you know, like a consulting solution book that we provide to you before you ever become, you know, there, there are companies that would spend tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars just on that kind of analysis of their business with a consulting firm. That's what you need from your partner. But again, I'm getting back to the pain. That's what I'm focused on. So if I'm making that move, you know, my, I've said this before to somebody. They said, well, we have a really good relationship with the guy we're leaving. They understand why we're leaving. There's been some problems. Still, great people. We like them. But we're making this move. And I remember somebody saying, well, we won't have any problems with that. But the reality is, if there's limited resources, and there always is, yeah. I got 15 trucks and they're already leaving me. So... Yeah, so if their yes. stuff's a little late, that's okay, right? right. If I'm going to take care of the guy, I, I want to take care of them because I like them, but they're leaving anyway. They're leaving because yeah. of poor service. I'm going to save the rest of my business. So it's almost just human nature gets in there. So you really have to do some strategy to make sure that you leave that one in the right way. And again, I, I think this is, you, you mentioned it, you don't want to ding anybody on their way out. And I think most people don't. But there always is this, there's, there's two sides to every story. Sometimes that, that customer might not have been the best customer. And you're like, That's good true. riddance, good riddance. You get the hell out of here. I can't wait till you're gone. Right. And then they leave. And then we do have that challenge. But getting back to it, you also started talking about this. This is not a transactional deal. And this is a huge cost. And this is the cost company, but companies like Ruby are, they're talking to your customers. They're interacting with your customers. You're delivering to your customer. That promise that you made online that was beautiful, that email follow-up that you sent, beautiful. But the where the rubber meets the road is where fulfillment is. 
And That's to right. keep to keep that going just as smoothly as it did online, you need it to be really, it's heard somebody say it's orchestrated like cats. I mean, it's, you know, that <laughs> like the musical. You really have to do the work to make sure you have the processes and the people and the technologies all in place to have that perfect or as close to this again, perfect delivery every single time. And that's not easy when there's beehives on the porch and dogs barking and the address missing, right? All the crazy things. Right. We always realize that nobody would make that change unless they absolutely had to, right? right. They, uh, they, the, the people come to us have to move. <laughs> right. They have to. It's right now. Now, now it's a question to where. But, but they absolutely have to move. We, we've had people come to us and say, and say that they, you know, they made a choice. Now they're bored. You know, they made a wrong choice and their board is breathing down their necks because <laughs> it was like the founder's personal choice that, 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 that the founder made. And he made that choice. And now the, the board is, is beating him. So many people are running into this, I think, because we do see, you, you mentioned when we were prepping, there's some really big companies in this space and then there's mid-sized companies and then there's guys at the bottom. You could be stuck, wrong way to say it. There's the old school warehouse that does, has very minimal technology and they might specialize in doing lots of truckloads to Walmart or wherever, or they might've got done auto parts, whatever they did. They aren't a, a good fit for what became your direct-to-consumer business, right? Yes. And so as you're making these moves, there has to be kind of a recognition that you got to go with one of the haves. And what I mean by the haves is there's the haves and the have-nots. The haves have the technology. They have the locations. They have that solution book that you talked about. Right. They have the they can deliver the customer experience that you want to deliver. And there's a whole bunch of people who, again, are great businesses, but not good for deed. There's a big difference between an e-commerce fulfillment warehouse and a traditional warehouse that, you know, might do millions of auto parts. <laughs> yes. Be very careful. Make sure you're going with, with a company that is really financially stable. Right. So as an example, there are, you know, if, so what happens, what happens if a 3PL is not financially stable? Right. Like, very few people think about that. Well, what happens with any, when anything isn't financially stable? What happens if it undergoes some kind of receivership? Well, they lock up the building. Mm. The receivership <laughs> locks up the building right. with your stuff in it, right. with your stuff in it. They right? also understaff, so, they underspend yeah. on things that are critical. So, so. Again, we have these enormous breakup costs. And now as I'm picking that new 3PL, I like what you said is we're looking to build that. We screwed up the last time. Now I'm making the right decision. I've gone to a company yes. like Ruby. And, and I think you really have to go with the mindset that I need to be integrated, fully integrated. This is, and I, I when we're prepping, I say this, I'm picking a 3PL, whether it's for fulfillment or for transportation. What I want is I don't want to date I don't want to be engaged. We're not living together. We are married. We are joined at the hip. That's to right. death do us part. I don't ever That's want to right. go through this transition again. again right. right. And so you better pick wisely, which means as I'm, as I'm doing this, make sure they have the locations, make sure that they have all that stuff we just talked about and make sure there's the right fit culturally. You better go meet them. People don't want to get on a plane and go visit. I think you should visit all the locations that you're going to be working with. You should try to visit. 
And uh, absolutely, you should. And if somebody discourages you from visiting, you should find out why. You should figure out why that is. But, but right. most definitely, I think even, uh, as I said earlier, even more important to me than, than the fact that they have what you'll need in a year or two is that they have a track record of expanding their capabilities whether it's geographic, whether it's technology, right. whether it's people oriented, that they have that track record because you can't necessarily know what you'll need in two years. But if they have a track record of staying ahead of client needs, you don't need to worry about that. You can feel comfortable that it will be okay. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I suspect, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I suspect companies like yours, they have like a technology roadmap and an experience roadmap where they're like, here's what we're doing today. You know, on the cutting edge of our customer base, some are already doing this and that's what we want for you as soon as you're ready, right? As opposed yes. to, no, we can't do that for you. Nope. Yes. We're not there yet. No, you're not ready for that. Nope. I want you dragging me into the, into the, into the next, next great thing. Right. And yes, and that those roadmaps are rooted in what we know customers want. How? By doing customer satisfaction surveys, by having client advisory councils, by doing QBRs with our, with our clients. With so when you say QBR, you mean, you mean quarterly, quarterly business, business reviews. reviews. Right. That's right. So that's because, because there's no point in having a technology roadmap or a features roadmap unless it's rooted in what people actually need. Right. It's it's tied to the market. It's not just, hey, this is what our tech guy came up with without ever going to a meeting with clients. <laughs> so one way one way to make sure that you that you can identify that is look for companies that actually have that. Do they have a client advisory council? Are they thought leaders? Do they publish? Do they publish thought leadership or are they following? Do they come on the logistics of logistics? Yes, exactly, Joe. <laughs> exactly. Right. There you go. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to summarize some of this and then I want to get your final thoughts on this. And then I want to hear a little bit of what's going on over at Ruby. So the, today's topic, again, is the pain of picking the wrong 3PL. And when we're talking 3PL, we could be talking about transportation, but in this topic, we're talking about e-commerce fulfillment or direct to consumer fulfillment to be more specific. And the pain is again this your old 3PL as you're making this move and this is when there's a lot of pain you're picking picking a new 3PL. You first off you're going to have bad customer experience. So your customers suffer. You're probably going to lose money when you have a bad 3PL in place. And then the 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 transition is never easy. It's important that you do it. But it's never easy. Because again, it, it, switching trucking companies is no big deal. It's just a new truck shows up at the dock. <laughs> switching <laughs> fulfillment centers means my stuff has to move and hopefully right. without getting thrown hastily into boxes and, and shipped over, right? Without being damaged or lost. So there's enormous breakup costs. Getting it wrong is expensive. So you got to make sure on the next go round, you get the right partner. And again, I think the right partner, we're really in this business environment where there's haves and there's have nots. I say this all the time on my podcast, the haves have the technology. In the case of fulfillment, they have the locations. They have kind of that cutting edge sense of what's next you again, it's just as if you're picking a lawyer or an accountant. You don't want to have to tell them what to do. You want them to say, "Here's what you need to do." You don't want to go to your doctor and say, "Check me out, do this for the physical." No, it's uncomfortable. But you want them to say, "I'm checking for this," right? <laughs> so that's what we should expect from our business partners. And God, if there's ever a partner, a business partner, 
your 3PL as your business partner. So That's get right. it right. Not Nothing's transactional. It's got to be that strategic relationship, cultural fit. Everything has to work because you don't ever want to leave again. <laughs> so Esther, final thoughts before we switch gears here. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I completely agree with what you just said. Look for that consultative approach. Look for a company that with a track record of thought leadership that you can see. You can see that they've pulled the industry forward and that they'll they'll pull you forward, right? You're marrying up. Marry up, right? Right. So (laughs) marry up. Let them let them lead you forward into your next phase and and make sure that they have a robust partnership network they can bring to bear and and have really intelligent, thoughtful conversations with you about where you want to take your business. So yeah, fully agree. Excellent. Excellent. So before we wrap this bad boy up, tell us what's going on over at Ruby. First off, who is your sweet spot? Who do you normally work with? We work with direct-to-consumer companies that are fast growing. You know, our sweet spot starts, you know, when, at the point at which they have, you know, a couple of thousand uh, orders a month and above. Sometimes we make exceptions, but that that's where we do, we shine brightest. And then there's, there's really no upper limit, but we, you know, our, our sweet spot is the very fast growing direct to consumer brand, which, which really needs to scale quickly. Um, and, and, you know, while maintaining quality, while maintaining its customization at scale. So when we talked earlier, we were, you, you mentioned refugees and there are some refugees from like Amazon. So Nike left Amazon because they wanted to, uh, they wanted to better control the customer experience. I think all birds left. There's other brands that are leaving, very big, successful brands. And I'm sure there's nothing against Amazon. It's just they want more of that control. And I think that's what you can get by leaving Amazon. And Amazon's obviously a juggernaut. But also, I think Amazon's turning out not to be a great fit for people on the lower end. Still very successful companies. But but Amazon, they're running a business. Not everybody's going to fit their model. Right. So- so I think you, but you have to deliver on that experience. You have to be at least as good as Amazon, right? You do. You do. What we've learned is, first of all, Amazon isn't what it used to be within this supply oh chain God. entity, uh, <laughs> right? We're not getting our packages from Amazon in a day or two anymore. But what we've also learned is that, first of all, we can deliver as fast as they can. And realistically, if high quality, beautiful items are unavailable on Amazon, people are willing to wait a little bit longer for the item they actually want. Right. Right. And, and that's what the DTC world is about. It's about this, these high quality items that are going direct to consumer that are better value that you could get for the same item if it had a middleman involved. And, and so we're seeing both things. First of all, yes, you can get, you can get that without going to Amazon. And secondarily, you maybe don't even need, really need to anymore because people are willing to accept another day or two to get what they actually really want. So it's a very interesting moment to see. I will also say this, you know, we're in December here. So a lot of people are buying holiday gifts and I have two daughters and it's never so easy as saying, oh, I'll just get that on Amazon. Most of the stuff I buy from them does not come from Amazon because the brands that they want, and I just think like Everlast and some of these companies, they don't use they don't use Amazon at all. So you've got to go. And I used to say this. I don't say it anymore. I used to go to these other sites almost reluctantly, like, oh, God darn it. Amazon has all my information. My address is all in there. But I don't worry as much anymore. Like I just go to the next site. But and I expect 
again, just as nice. My the, yeah. the the bar is the bar is high. So yeah, or nicer. <laughs> yeah, or that, nicer. that's what I mean. Yes. And again, Amazon's turning out to be again. It's a great company, but it is not for everybody. It's you know, it's it's like a restaurant. Not for everything. That's the, right. If there's a great Italian restaurant, it's not for everybody. <laughs> it's, it's if somebody goes, Nah, I don't like Italian. I I eat too much Italian, right? <laughs> but but also a lot of a lot of our clients also take what we think of as an omni-channel or an omni-digital approach, where they are selling through Amazon and eBay and you know and drop shipping. So it's um, it depends upon their particular strategy, but uh, we made sure that we can accommodate it all. So you guys have you guys have lots of locations. Where are they? We're in New York, New Jersey, Kentucky, uh, California, Las Vegas, and Toronto, Canada, and we're in the UK now too. Interesting. So it, so many companies are moving to Nevada. Why is that? Why is that? Is that is that because it's one day to California? Uh, yeah, it's you know what it. Um, there are a lot of uh, California it's not going to be cheap has, anymore. <laughs> it maybe, but but California has is weighty in terms of other taxes and other types of and, and and labor. So for those reasons, you know, Vegas is is just as good. It's not just and an excuse for you guys to go to Vegas, is it? Yes, that's right. <laughs> you you outed me. That's true. <laughs> so we have we have a beautiful facility, a state of the art facility built to suit in Las Vegas with, you know, again, state of the art robotics and automation. It's a wonderful place to visit. For anybody who wants to see, you know, an exemplary facility, that is that is a very special place. Right. And one other thing, when we were prepping, we talked a little bit about your location in Mississauga, which is right outside Toronto, right? And I, that is increasingly important to, you know, as e-commerce grows, I mean, it's not as if Canada is one-tenth the size of the U.S. And obviously, there's more and more cross-border. I think the latest upgrade of NAFTA, whatever it's called, I forgot what it's called now, it it was really with the the idea that we're going to upgrade a little bit around the e-commerce so we can do yeah. some of that cross-border. Yeah. Look, as a company, we know that our clients want to be close to where their customers are right? They, that's where they want to be. And so that's where we need to be. So when we think about like, when you're thinking about your next 3PL as you're like, you know, exiting your, your old one, you need to think about, you know, am I joining a company that is staying ahead of its client's needs, not just from the technology standpoint, but also from the standpoint of where, where we really need to be geographically. So that's something that we have done over and over again. Yeah. So I know one of the big trends out there is same day, next day. How do you guys manage all that crazy high standard? Yeah, it is. It is a high standard. We actually, we're, we're, we're managing it. And, but like I said, there's a lot of there, there's the expectation has changed. It's not, it's not where it used to be. I would say also, it feels to me like when somebody says same day, next day, you go, Oh, I actually need those. I need that sweater today. Well, do you really? Are you ever going to wear it on so Saturday? Ninety percent of the time, they don't. Right? right, and I think from a sustainability perspective, we should start saying. Um, and I think you know companies like yours, I suspect, and I think the brands themselves are going to start saying, "Look, there's an environmental cost. Yes, I can give that to you yes. today, yes. but we're going to maybe reward you or at least let you know the environmental impact of this." I could see yes, getting like if this cost it's zero for, it's zero cost for shipping, but if you let us wait a day or two, it's better for the environment. And I think brands are going to say, Amazon yeah, is doing that now. It's letting you put together your, your orders into, into one instead of having them come in, in a number of different boxes. And so, 
I think that'll be, I think that's going to be great for a lot of brands. I think it was, I think it's Timberland that said, if you let us wait up to a week, up to a week to deliver your boots, we'll, we'll plant a tree, which is really on brand for them. I love that. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that kind of thing from, this is the kind of thing where you go, this is not an easy thing to manage. This is why you need this partner that has really got capabilities well beyond your own. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. So Esther and her team get out and plant trees for you. <laughs> there are <all> hours. <laughs> anyway, enough of my blather. Esther, I really appreciate you taking the time. What I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and I'll put a link to Ruby Has Fulfillment. And again, I think it's Ruby Has is the website. Yes, but exactly. oh, I didn't even Ruby ask. RubyHas.com. That's right. I should have asked this first. Why? Why the name Ruby Has Fulfillment? You know, our founder, Raphael Zakhanov, originally started in e-commerce. In fact, before he founded Ruby Has, he was actually the largest year over year over year, the largest eBay seller in a number of categories. Oh, like, so he lived huge. it. <laughs> he lived it. And, and what he wanted to do originally was to start a marketplace. And, you know, with this kind of character uh, attached to it that has all kinds of things for you. You know, Ruby has sunglasses and Ruby has scarves and Ruby has, right, you right. know, cologne, whatever it was. And, um, that was the idea originally and the name just stuck. And it's really <laughs> neat because, you know, in a world where you have a lot of companies that are named ship this and ship that, right, right. that <laughs> ship and this ship, we, we stand out. Everybody remembers us. Everybody right. remembers it Ruby does has. help. Yeah. To, it does help to have that. To, so people always go, Oh, I love the, the logistics of logistics name. And it's funny. I always say my executive coach Ann Holm came up with it. And I remember she said, Oh, just name your, it was a blog. She goes, name your blog, the logistics of logistics. And she goes, I go, no, I go, no, that. And, and I remember it's funny. I first I go, no, and that's that thing. That's a placeholder. I'll figure out something better. And I did not. <laughs> this is the great name. So I love the name. I love talking to you. Thank you so much, Esther. And I wish you and the team at uh, Ruby Has Fulfillment all the luck in the world. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Yep. Thank you so much. And thank all of you so much for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.